Welcome to the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show, the first live weekly radio show in the country dedicated to providing resources and answers to all your elder care and caregiver questions. We have a great show planned for you today. My name is Ken Hagland, and joining me in studio is Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. We will be discussing several topics regarding end-of-life planning and decision-making including an important legal document called a POLST, or Physician's Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment, that specifies the type of medical care a person would like in an emergency medical situation. I want to remind you we are broadcasting live and are looking forward to answering your questions. Please feel free to call us at 952-946-6205. Once again, that phone number is 952-946-6205. Our show producer, Hunter Haas, will be answering the phones today, along with running the soundboard and working hard to keep us on schedule. Thank you, Hunter. Before we begin today's program, I want to share with you why we host this weekly live call-in radio show devoted to all aspects of elder care services, from healthcare management and planning all the way through end-of-life health care and support. Our purpose is to share important conversations on the needs and desires of our aging population. We provide answers to important questions you need to be aware of regarding elder care and caregiver issues to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your best quality of life. Each week, we bring you experts from across the elder care spectrum, to provide insights and recommendations on how to navigate the complexities and challenges of elder care and how we can help you and your loved ones prepare for the various stages of life's transitions. In addition, we provide vital information for the caregivers who are essential to supporting our elder population. We also talk about the lessons mortality can teach us and the importance of living each day with a purpose and without lifelong regrets. I am grateful for the opportunity each week to discuss these timely and relevant topics with you. And I am thankful uh, to this radio station and the listening audience on the great responses they've given to us. Please continue to send us your questions, comments, and suggestions. This show is brought to you each week by Minnesota Hospice an independent, physician-owned medical practice serving local Minnesota communities for over 10 years with innovative and comprehensive end-of-life health care. You can contact the compassionate team of experts at Minnesota Hospice by phone at 612-930-3339, by email at radio at mnhospice.com or visit us online at minnesotahospice.com. I also want to thank the American Legion Post 643 in Savage, Minnesota for allowing us the opportunity last week to host a panel discussion on knowing your hospice benefits. We are living in unprecedented times in human history. As the over 75 million people of the baby boom generation continue to move into retirement age, our population mix is rapidly shifting. The Social Security Administration reported that over 4 million people are retiring each year. That equates to over 10,000 people every day. The Minnesota State Demographic Center issued a report entitled Minnesota 2030. And in it, they estimate by the year 2030, the population of Minnesotans age 65 and older will be larger than the entire population under age 18 for the first time in the state's history. The need for elder care is growing and will be increasing at an accelerated rate in the coming years. We have economic pressures to face as well. The cost of assisted living communities and skilled nursing facilities is increasing and many families need to be planning for their housing needs long before they need them. In addition, surveys show most people want to age and die in their own homes. 
These factors are contributing to an exploding caregiving workforce crisis. Minnesota currently has over 585,000 unpaid family and friends playing a critical role in helping older Minnesotans live at home. There is also a growing segment of our population that are called the invisible caregivers that are being called upon to help fill the gap as the home health care crisis deepens. These invisible caregivers are minor children, sometimes as young as eight years old, helping care for aging or disabled family members. We here in Minnesota are not alone in this extraordinary trend. The rest of the country is facing the same challenging reality. This phenomenon has far-reaching implications for our society, our communities, and our quality of life. Each week during this broadcast, we will be discussing the impact this mega trend will have on you and your loved ones and what you can do to prepare for it and preserve and enhance your quality of life. Today, we will be discussing end-of-life planning and decision-making issues facing our aging population and how we need to understand the options and alternatives available to support our loved ones throughout their life. Once again, I want to remind you we are broadcasting live today and every Saturday and look forward to taking your questions. You can reach us at 952-946-6205. I would like to introduce my guest today. Uh, I, am, I am very honored to have them in the studio with me. Uh, first is Dr. Vic Sandler, and second is Professor Thad Pope. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Let me introduce uh, Thad first here. Uh, Thad is, a direct, is the director of Health Law Institute and professor at Mitchell, Will, Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's also an adjunct professor with the Australian Center for Health Law Research at Queensland University of Technology. He's also the adjunct associate professor with the Alden March Bioethics Institute at Albany Medical College and also a visiting professor of medical jurisprudence at St. George's University. Professor Pope has over 140 publications in leading medical journals, law reviews, bar journals, nursing journals, bioethics journals, and book chapters. He co-authors a definitive treatise on right to die, the law of end-of-life decision-making. And he runs the Medical Futility blog, with over 3 million page views. Professor Pope works to calibrate the balance between individual liberty and public health in the end-of-life medical treatment context. His specific research topics have included medical futility, unwanted medical treatment, ethics committees, brain death, advanced directives, surrogate decision-making, unrepresented patients, aid in dying, and VSED, which is voluntary stopping eating and dying. More recently, Pope has been innovating new legal tools to better assure fair internal dispute resolution mechanisms and adequate informed consent with patient decision aids. Prior to joining academia, Professor Pope practiced at Arnold and Porter LLP and clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Pope earned a JD and a PhD in philosophy and bioethics from Georgetown University. Also joining me today is Dr. Victor Sandler. He has 35 years of practice in internal medicine, geriatric medicine, hospice, and palliative medicine. His board certifications include internal medicine, 1979, geriatric medicine, 1988, and hospice and palliative medicine, 2008. He currently holds the following positions, medical director, home care, and associate medical director hospice at Fairview Hospitals, from 2006 to present, co-chair Bioethics Committee, University of Minnesota Medical Center, 1998 to present, president Minnesota Network of Hospice and Palliative Care Physicians, 2010 to present, co-chair Minnesota Medical Association Pulse Task Force. He has a faculty appointment as assistant professor, Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, University of Minnesota Medical School, 2013 to present. He served on the state Minnesota Healthcare Advisory Council Department of Human Services from 2006 to 2012, and has been recognized by the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, awarded as a top doctor, 1994 to 2006, and then 2013 and 2014. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, we've got about a minute and a half for the first segment, <laughs> and I appreciate your patience here. 
But I, I would like to just introduce the topic to our audience of the Polst. And as I mentioned before, uh, the, uh, the Polst is a physician's order for life-sustaining treatment, and it's a legal document. Can you explain maybe the beginnings of how that started in Minnesota? I know not every state has a Polst legal document, or they're working on them. But um, you know, what was the origin and what's the purpose of a Polst? Ken, uh, just a slight correction. Polst yeah. in some states stands for Physician Order for Life-Sustaining Treatment. And, and in Minnesota, it, it actually the P is for provider because it actually can be signed by a physician or an advanced practice nurse or a physician assistant. Uh, but that's a, that's a very slight correction. Uh, Pulse is really part of a process of what we call uh, part of a process of advanced care planning. The Pulse is a specific document, and it actually is a national movement. It started in o Oregon in the early 1990s. Uh, they initiated the Pulse program and has actually spread across the whole country. And so now every state in the country, including the District of Columbia, have Pulse programs, either are developing them or they're really up and running very uh, successfully. Um, what? Let me do this, uh, Doctor. Um, we're wrapping up the first segment here. Let's continue that conversation about the origins of the Pulse and how that impacts people today. It's time for our first break. We'll be right back to continue our conversations with Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. yourself some friends or you'll be lonely once I was seven years old. Hi, this is Charlie. My dad is Minnesota's wildly popular and handsome radio host, Matt McNeil. Did I say that right, Dad? Perfect! When I got my driver's license, my parents let me drive a Sienna from Rudy Luther Toyota. I love it. It's easy, comfortable, and hauls all my baseball gear. And my parents love the safety. That's why they wanted me in the Sienna. Thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota, my son is safe as he begins his driving adventure. We're a two Sienna family thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota. Visit them today in Golden Valley at 169 and 394. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts, 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Are you thinking of selling your house or downsizing to main level living for an easier lifestyle? I'm Janelle Holty with Sellers Edge Home Team and Coldwell Banker Burnett, your agent with heart. My team specializes in selling homes and helping you find the next property for all life stages. Call me today for your free equity assessment. I'll get you moving. That's Janelle Holty at 612-203-9661 or find us online at sellersedgehometeam.com. When is the last time you had the outside of your windows clean? Cleaning your windows gives you brighter natural light in your home. Don't waste the summer sun and brighten your home's quality of light. Coming through those windows with Blue Sky Services. Get your windows washed before the fall rush. Blue Sky Services' final sale before fall is this month only, where you can get 25 window panes washed inside and out for only $129. Call 651-447-4484. That's Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484. Once I was seven years old, my mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. Once I was seven years old. 
Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and joining me today in studio is Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. We are talking today about several topics, including end-of-life planning and decision-making, and we just started talking about the concept and the legal document called a POLST. And uh, Dr. Sandler had started to to explain what that was and the germination of it and you know how it can impact uh, the planning process that we all should be looking at at end of life. As a reminder to our audience, we are live on the air today and are looking forward to taking your questions. This is a great opportunity, folks, if you have some questions about uh, healthcare directives or pulse or end of life conversations, please feel free to give us a call, 952-946-6205. Well, Dr. Sandler, let's continue our conversation about uh, the genesis of the POLST and, and how it applies to um, end-of-life planning and decision-making. So as I was saying, POLST is, is uh, really a national program that was started in Oregon and is spread across the country, and Minnesota's POLST program started about 10 years ago. What the POLST is, essentially, is uh, the POLST itself is a sheet of paper on two sides, and it's intended for people with advanced illness, uh, such as metastatic cancer or congestive heart failure, for example, or elderly, uh, frail elderly people, to indicate what types of medical treatments uh, they do and do not want. So that, for example, uh, in, in Fairview Hospice, we encourage all of our patients to complete a pulse so that we can... Uh, know exactly what their wishes are. Almost all the patients that come into hospice, uh, of course, are, uh, are terminally ill, and that's required according to Medicare rules. If uh, a patient wants a natural death, and that's why they're coming into hospice, they can indicate that on the pulse form. If they want to focus on comfort care rather than going back to the hospital, that similarly can be indicated. And the document is intended for use by emergency medical services uh, or emergency physicians so that it's uh, being assigned provider order. The emergency room doctor or the emergency medical person can look at the sheet. It's honored by emergency medical services and endorsed by the, emer uh, the uh, Emergency Medical Services Regulatory Board of Minnesota. Uh, they will honor this form and follow the patient wishes. So this is the purpose of the form, so people can indicate whether they want full aggressive care or they want some limitation on the type of treatment that's provided, and it's intended for emergency use in outpatients. It's not really used in the hospital. It's used on an outpatient basis. So at a nursing home, at an assisted living, in someone's personal home, we encourage people, once it's filled out, to put it with a magnet on the refrigerator. That's usually where EMS personnel will look for it. Okay, now the form can also be, can that be uploaded into a patient's record or their EMR uh, if they have a, a system or facility that they tend to use? Yes, absolutely. And that's a very important question because almost, uh, I think all of the major health uh, systems in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota have electronic medical records. And we all, uh, most all of us that I know of have uh, systems for uploading not only Pulse documents, but other advanced care planning documents, such as advanced directives, so that it's immediately available uh, to the hospital or the clinic. Um, unfortunately, those records are not available uh, to emergency medical services staff. We don't have a system uh, for that. So that's why the form itself is important to have a hard copy of it in the home or nursing home where these uh, people where these emergencies occur. Well, and it's also then sounds like important to have the POA, the power of attorney, or somebody who's who's familiar with the patient, also have that copy as well. Because if the patient can't respond or say, "Hey, this is where the the document is," I mean, you need to have somebody there who can also help and say, "You know, here is the document." And is this a document that needs to be notarized, or is there is there anything that needs to be done to uh, validate the document? So it doesn't need to be notarized. Okay. Um, it's a medical order, so it just needs to be signed by a physician, <clears throat> an advanced practice nurse, or a physician assistant, just like any other mm -hmm. medical order. And But your question is a great one because the very uh, purpose of the POLST is to help out in situations when the patient lacks capacity to make her own health care decisions. If she were alert and had capacity, then we would just ask her, what treatment she wants or doesn't want. Um, but in these exigent circumstances, she can't do that. Um, 
and maybe there's a POA available, but um, in emergency situations, that's not even sufficient. So for example, uh, ambulance EMTs can't listen to an EMT, uh, to, can't listen to the POA, to the, to the agent. Um, so they must transport unless there's a medical order authorizing them to not transport. So the, the question's a great one. Uh, so the pulse would, is something that the EMTs can and will follow. Okay. And again, this is just so our audience understands, this is a legal document, but it's also a prescription is what you're saying from a, from a physician or a healthcare provider, right? It's an order. That's that the difference. So everybody, every adult in the state of Minnesota should have an advanced directive, right? And the purpose of an advanced directive would be twofold. A, if you lose capacity to make your own healthcare decisions, who do you want to be authorized to make those decisions on your behalf? And secondly, to actually put in some specific guidance and instructions in the advanced directive. For a smaller subset of the population, those, those who might be expected to die in the next year or, year or two, they should supplement or at least consider supplementing their advanced directive with a pulsed. And a pulsed is a set of medical orders, so it's immediately actionable. So the ED physicians or the EMTs will, can just read it and follow it. An advanced directive is just a, a recording of your wishes and preferences. It needs to be translated into medical orders so that it can be followed. And that interpretation and translation process takes time, which is why advanced directives aren't particularly useful in emergency situations, but a pulse is. That is the best explanation I've had in this show history about the difference of an advanced care directive and a pulse. Okay, so that, that to me, because I'm looking at the pulse right now, and you're right, it's, it's a very small, it's a, it's a one-page, you know, two-sided form, and it's really pretty clear. It's got, it's got essentially seven sections, A, B, C, D, and E, uh, or five, I'm sorry, five sections, and it's really short, and I can see a person can make a quick decision. You're not wading through pages and pages of a, a healthcare directive, which could potentially be multiple pages, and have a lot of narrative and a lot of, a lot of uh, copy on it. Absolutely. You, you were explaining earlier that sometimes people put into their advanced directive songs and poems yeah. that they want read, it, it's, it, which is great, right? It provides a lot of guidance to their family. Um, but on the other hand, it's stuff that the clinicians at the ED don't have really time to sift through um, and read and interpret. So, right, th this is immediately actionable. And secondly, it's a uniform form. So that exact form is the same form that's used across the state. A and frankly, the Minnesota form looks 99% similar to the forms in every other state. So it's, it's familiar, and so it's easy to read and interpret. Fantastic. Um, we will be continuing our conversation here on The Pulse when we get back. It's time for our second break. We will be continuing our conversation with Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope on end-of-flight decision-making. We'll be right back. My woman brought children for me So I can sing them all my songs And I can tell them stories Most of my boys are with me Some are still out seeking glory And some I had to leave Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and designed jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. Hi, Gregory Rich, host of AM 950's Drink in the Style. Are you a fan of cool? Then let me introduce you to Gus Modern. Available exclusively in the Twin Cities at Habitation Furnishing and Design, Gus Modern is kind of mid-century, kind of contemporary, and 100% cool. Timeless, comfortable, awesome, and through August 19th, 20% off. Visit GusModern.com or stop in at Habitation at 4317 Excelsior Boulevard and check it out. Are you thinking of selling your house or downsizing to main level living for an easier lifestyle? I'm Janelle Holty with Seller's Edge Home Team and Coldwell Banker Burnett, your agent with heart. 
My team specializes in selling homes and helping you find the next property for all life stages. Call me today for your free equity assessment. I'll get you moving. That's Janelle Holte at 612-203-9661 or find us online at sellersedgehometeam.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Today, patchy smoke, mostly sunny with a high near 86. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 65. And Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 85. This week's EatLocalMinnesota.com Restaurant of the Week is The Great Wall. Just north of 50th and France in Edina, The Great Wall Restaurant has been providing a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Find out more at EatLocalMinnesota.com. Songs have been sold. We've traveled around the world and we're still roaming. Soon we'll be 30 years old. Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and joining me today in studio is Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. We are talking today about several topics, including end of life planning and decision making, and our focus so far has been on the post. And uh, Dr. Sandler uh, was uh, was kind enough to help me out in uh, naming the post. It's a provider order for life-sustaining treatment. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation because this is, this is a very important legal document that all of us, uh, whether we are a patient or we're a, a caregiver or a power of attorney for a patient, needs to be aware of. And there's a, a lot of confusion in that we find as a hospice provider um, about what the POLST is and how that is different than an advanced care directive. Um, so with that, we're going to get back in this conversation. And I also want to remind the audience, uh, we are live on the air today as we are every Saturday at noon and are looking forward to taking your questions. Feel free to call us at 952-946-6205. All right, let's get back into this interesting conversation. Dr. Sandler, um, you had some thoughts about continuing to, to unpack what that POLST uh, document is and how it's different than the Advanced Care Directive. Exactly, Ken. I, I wanted to make a very important point in terms of the distinction between advanced directives and how they're completed and how a POLST uh, document is appropriately completed. Advanced directives, a lot of times I'll find that people have completed these in their lawyer's office. Um, or with their family, and they can they can access these documents online and complete them, and and uh, or simply name a uh, a healthcare agent, someone to make decisions for them uh, them if they're no longer able to make them, and that can be all done outside of a medical office, and and it can be brought into the medical office. It it has to be signed by two witnesses or notarized uh, to become active, and it, it's uh, you know it's a legal document also in the state of Minnesota. The 
Pulse is quite different from that, and these involve medical, uh, specific medical decisions, and therefore the pulse should not be completed by someone uh, on their own. It should, should only be completed uh, in consultation with somebody that's trained to explain the choices in the pulse document. Almost all of the major health systems have people trained to do this. They are often nurses, social workers, even chaplains that are trained to go over the choices with uh, patients and their families, and physicians, of course. But uh, people shouldn't look to access a Pulse document and complete it on their own because uh, we find that uh, this is lead, would lead to incorrect choices, uh, if the reason being people would not understand the real options uh, and may make poor choices for themselves. Now, the Pulse itself does not need to have a health care provider's signature on it. Or, or does it? It does. The, okay. in, in order to go into effect, it has to have a provider signature. That makes it a so-called doctor's order. And we say doctor's order, but, you know, in this case, a provider order. And if it's not signed by a provider, by the doctor, the uh, advanced practice nurse or PA, then the EMS services really should not follow it because that gives it the force of a doctor's order. And then they will honor it. If it's unsigned, they really would not be allowed to follow it according to their own guidelines. Okay. And that, that to me, is just a real big distinction between these two legal documents we've been talking about, the health care directive and the POLST. This does require uh, a health care, a specific health care classification of a provider to essentially countersign it, right? Because the patient is also required to sign this or their POA. Is that true? Yeah, let me give you an example to make it yeah. crystal clear. You know, for example, if you have, say, a person, uh, an 80-year-old person who's got a history of heart disease, they fill out an advanced directive, they don't have a pulse, they're at home, they have a cardiac arrest, they've essentially died, 911 is called by a well-meaning relative. Uh, even though on the advanced directive it says that they don't want to have resuscitation done, uh, the EMS services arrive and the relative says they've got an advanced directive, they don't want CPR. Well, when uh, emergency medical services are called to a, ho a home, they're, they're charged with doing full emergency services unless there's a signed provider order such as a pulse indicating otherwise. An advanced directive is not a signed doctor's order. Therefore, they would be uh, what they would be charged to do is providing CPR to a patient like that. Even if that patient really didn't want it, if there was not assigned doctor orders for EMS providers to follow, they would have to provide CPR ordinarily under those circumstances. Right, because that's what they're charged with. I mean, that, and their, their liability is to, uh, to give complete effort, 100% effort, for the resuscitation of that individual. And, uh, and like you say, the example of maybe an 80-year-old person that has uh, underlying health conditions and maybe some you know, several conditions, um, that's going to be a very traumatic experience uh, for that individual. Yes, and it, it, that's why it's very important that somebody that has uh, serious health problems, in uh, hospice it happens almost automatically, the discussion, because people, uh, when they're coming into hospice, recognize that they're terminally ill, and the process of completing a pulse is relatively easy because the goals are focusing on a natural death and comfort. But there's many people that qualify to complete a pulse form that don't qualify for hospice who may want one. People that, are, that fit that description should not wait for their doctor to bring it up because doctors, unfortunately, uh, are not timely in their discussions of these matters. Doctors are, because they are not trained communicators, unfortunately, most doctors have end-of-life issues, and therefore these issues often get brought up late. So for the audience, should understand that if they have relatives, loved ones, or they themselves have advanced disease and want a pulse document indicating to EMS that they don't want certain types of care or they want full aggressive services, they should bring up the subject with their doctor and say, you know, I've heard about the pulse document. Wouldn't this be appropriate for me to have because I don't want certain things done? Right. And, and you made a great point there. Um, our, um, our medical community, our doctors, our nurses, they are all trained in curative they're all trained to help a person get better. And so you're right, bringing up those conversations about, well, if this treatment fails, let's talk about what that may mean to you. And I think that is uh, a conversation that is difficult to have. And I think you're right. 
we, we encourage our patients in, in hospice to ask questions or, pe or people that are thinking about hospice, ask those questions, ask their medical professional, someone who's worked with them for years or even decades about what that means for them. And I think the other thing too is to really understand what does the emergency process involve when they do come to resuscitate an individual. I, th I think we were kind of confused by what we see on TV, how people come in and they, they give a couple of, of pushes to the chest and then they put the mask on or a mouth-to-mouth -mouth or whatever it may be, and the person comes together. You know, we, our, all of us here at the table have, have you know, seen you know, some of the, uh, the consequences uh, of what happens to uh, an individual sometimes at, at, uh, in a frail condition with the resuscitation efforts that go on. Those, those emergency right. uh, teams that come in, they are skilled, and, and they, if, if there's any chance to bring you back, they will bring you back, but it's the condition you are in them when you come back. Yeah, people very much misunderstand CPR and the, and, and the results of CPR. Uh, when you look at television shows, and this actually has been studied and, and published in the New England Journal a few years back, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, where they looked at television shows and the success rate of CPR and the success rate and the CPR was overwhelmingly done on young people that had, had accidents or drowning victims, average age of around 40 or something like that. And CPR was uh, about 75% successful. In real life, and this is based on national data, CPR done out in the community is successful about one out of 15 times. And for people that have more serious disease, such as metastatic cancer and are in a state of decline or serious heart failure, the results are even worse, maybe one out of 50 survival or even less than that. And there's, of course, complications with CPR as well. Now, most older people want to focus on quality of life. Elderly people, people over 80 want to focus of their care, when they're surveyed about this, want to focus more on quality of life. And so, it's important that people have this option of deciding on what types of treatment they do and don't want. And so the pulse may be appropriate for many older people with serious illness, but they or their family members should bring it up to the doctor because otherwise they may end up getting undesired CPR. Got it. Now, and the, the doctor wants this, them to ask this question. I mean, the, the doctor has a lot of things going on. Uh, practices today are just you know, crazy uh, in, in terms of uh, time constraints and busyness. Um, so, so it's not a bother to the doctor generally for anybody to say, hey, I'd like to just talk about a pulse or do you have somebody on staff that can help me walk through this? Again, one page, two-sided document. It's, it's very clear about what that it's asking for. So we want to encourage people to, to ask those questions. Well, we're, we're initiating programs at Fairview and, and Lion Health Partners uh, regions, um, uh, Park Nicollet. All the major health systems are doing the same thing. We're training more of the health team to be uh, trained discussers of the Pulse document, nurses, uh, care coordinators, social workers within the clinic setting and in the hospital so they can have discussions. Because you're, you're absolutely right, Ken, doctor's time is at a premium and therefore we have to utilize all members of the healthcare team to, you know, to utilize for advanced care planning work such as the POLST and advanced directives. Got it. Uh, Professor Pope, I'm sure you've got some things that you want to weigh in here on this conversation before the end of our, our segment. Well, just to, again, just to be really clear about the, the distinction between advanced directive and pulse. So advanced directive, you can complete by yourself. Ideally, you do it with your family, but you could do it by yourself and or with your family. But to make it legally binding and effective, it, you either need two witnesses or it needs to be notarized. On the pulsed side, you're never completing it by yourself, right? You're always completing it with a healthcare professional. Now, often that's going to be a social worker or a nurse. It might not be with the physician, but to make it effective and binding, it needs to be signed by an MD, uh, APRN, or PA. Um, so it's always, there's always healthcare professional involvement with the POLST. Um, and it's important to take, to go back to your example of the 80-year-old at home, we know through massive and robust survey data that most people, like 80% of people, would prefer to forego additional uh, aggressive measures if they're not going to provide, if, if there's nothing left uh, curative to provide. Nevertheless, a lot of those people still die in the hospital and often even in the ICU. Um, 
what we know from studies in uh, Oregon and West Virginia on the pulsed is the pulsed helps people avoid treatment that they didn't want. And it helps them avoid that treatment that they didn't want better than an advanced directive by itself. Okay. Um, you got the last minute here of this uh, segment. Um, so the pulsed plays a part then when a person has had a health event that has made them unconscious or has they've stopped breathing. So this is not necessarily indicative of somebody who is, uh, has had a health event, but they're still, they're, they're still breathing, they're, they're still um, uh, in, a, in a, uh, a static or, a, or a, a good health condition. It, it only is when a person has lost that. They've, 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 um, their heart stopped beating, they've stopped breathing, right? Well, the pulse, you know, you can make a choice about whether you do or don't want CPR. You can also make a choice about your overall goals of treatment. Okay, let's continue that conversation here. We'll be right back to continue our conversation with Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stellion? Check online to learn that Warner Stellion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stellion sells more brands than anyone else, and our passionate specialists are committed to impressing you so much that you'll refer us to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stellion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy appliances, join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners and choose the specialists. Warner Stellion. It's a good day to be indigenous. Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. Our weekly Native American talk radio show will discuss national and local Native American news and events. Local and national guests will help us keep current with Mother Earth, tribal, and Twin City issues. Native American issues are human issues. We invite all people to walk hand-in-hand with our struggles, victories, and achievements. Listen Saturdays at 2 p.m. I am awake. The only thing more truly Minnesotan than our weather is our state fair. So Standard Heating and Air Conditioning decided to make the most of them both with our state fair sale. Install a high-efficiency furnace by September 3rd, and you can also get a new air conditioner starting at just $2,500. That's a whole lot of comfort and peace of mind for not a lot of money. Discover how you can take advantage of Standard State Fair Sale at StandardHeatingDeals.com. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. Comfort you deserve. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. This Monday, our theme is how education and idealism intertwine. I'll talk about an idealist you'd never heard of, an Iowa teacher who taught about discrimination, and another person who is an unlikely idealist, LeBron James. Yes, that LeBron. Tune in to hear the whole story. Ellie 2.0, engaging in real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. This is Pat with PJW Automotive in New Brighton. I've been in business long enough to know that if you want to stand out, you better be the best. That's why I've assembled a top-notch team of automotive specialists who do the job right the first time. Bringing your car or truck to PJW Automotive is an investment in the future of your vehicle. Try us once and you'll see it's worth the drive to PJW Automotive. One exit north of 694 on 35W and online at pjwauto.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and joining me today in studio is Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope. We are talking about end-of-life planning and decision-making in regards to health care 
and we are focused on the legal document called a POLST. And last segment, um, we were we were just starting to get into you know how that POLST applies uh, when a person um, uh, has a health situation that uh, has caused them to either um, have a cardiac situation or they're not breathing, and then how this uh, document gives guidance to that EMT team that comes to help that person uh, either in their home or in, uh, uh, let's say, assisted living facility. And uh, Dr. Sandler, you were talking a little bit about how that process goes that in the first section talks about if the patient has no pulse and is not breathing, then what's the next step? And then uh, section B says, well, if they are breathing and have a pulse, then what's the next step? Well, this gets down into the specifics that are actually on the document. And again, this is something that should be explained by someone that is knowledgeable, by a health professional that is knowledgeable about the pulse so that they can explain the different options. But if someone, if EMS is called on a 911 call to a scene and somebody has a full cardiac arrest, so they're not breathing and they have no pulse, and the pulse has been completed and indicates the person wants uh, a natural death and does not want resuscitation, then the EMS, and it's signed appropriately, the form is completed, the uh, EMS uh, paramedics have checked it out and it's completed appropriately, then they will not uh, pursue CPR and allow the person to have a natural death. If the person has even a faint pulse or is faintly breathing, then uh, the, the orders on resuscitation aren't pertinent because there wouldn't be really a candidate for CPR. But then the next section of treatment talks about goals of treatment, whether somebody wants comfort care, which is often the goal of a hospice patient that has a pulse. If they want comfort care, it indicates in that section that they prefer not to be hospitalized and would like to stay at home. And uh, hopefully the person could stay at home comfortably. Uh, they may have checked off limited interventions, which indicates our limited medical treatment, which indicates that hospitalization may be helpful for reversible disease such as pneumonia, and they would be willing to be hospitalized for treatment of pneumonia, for example. Or they may indicate that they want full aggressive treatment, which indicates um, if somebody was down and, and had a faint pulse and wasn't responsive, they very likely would be stabilized at the scene by paramedics as best they could. Paramedics would be in contact with their uh, EMS physicians in the emergency room, and they would transport the patient for full emergency service to the emergency room promptly. There's also other choices on the pulse regarding artificial nutrition and hydration and antibiotic therapy, but I don't think we have time to really get into those specifics. But again, these need to be elaborated and discussed with uh, the health professional. Okay, good. And uh, uh, Professor Pope, where can people find these documents? This is, uh, this is important that people, especially today, uh, we've got several people obviously hearing this, and they're probably wondering, well, where do I get this from? Do I have to go to my, my doctor's office to get a, a post form? Well, I guess the right answer is you kind of do have to go to your doctor's <laughs> office to get a post form because it's, it is a medical order, and you can't write medical orders for yourself, um, right? And so that, that, that's probably right. Now, to just get more information about POLST, maybe to even watch videos, um, there, there's a great site, POLST.org, P-O-L-S-T.org. And so they'll have materials, both printed and video, for families and patients, and then another set of videos and materials for clinicians. Um, Minnesota specifically, we have a site that kind of does the same thing. We have uh, family focused materials, and then there's clinician-focused materials. Uh, the Minnesota-specific site is pulstmn.org, P-O-L-S-T-M-N.org, um, and that's, that's uh, run out by the Minnesota Medical Association. Okay. So the, there is a, there's a national uh, POLST organization helping provide maybe some standardization across the states, but, but every state, though— makes their own decision on what that POLST form looks like and maybe some of the contents of the POLST itself? Well, that, that's a very good point. The national organization is very important because they've established quite rigorous guidelines for the POLST programs in every state. If states want to participate, and, and, ver and as, as I said, every state is participating at this time. And so they have quite explicit criteria on the form itself and what, and what needs to go into each form to standardize the, uh, this. And one of the reasons for doing that is the, the forms are portable and 
And so if you have, if you complete a form in Minnesota and you take your Minnesota form to California, for example, or Florida, that that form will be recognized by uh, personnel down there and hopefully honored. The best recommendation right now is that if, for example, you're an elderly person in Minnesota who winters down in Florida and you want to have, and you have a post in Minnesota, it'd be best if you went and had a post form completed in Florida so that you had a Florida form while you were living down there so you could be assured that the form was recognized and honored by EMS personnel down in Florida. Well, that is a great, great thought there because several, I mean, the majority of Minnesotans that are that are retired love to be able to travel, and uh, whether it's Arizona or it's Florida, that makes sense to actually have one for each state that you may be uh, either living in or or spending some time with. Then it seems like that'd be make sense to have a national registry of of, of post information. And I'm, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but it just seems like it just makes sense to have some national thing for people. It would, it, that would be great. Um, some states like uh, Oregon and West Virginia have electronic registries. So um, as long as we can identify the patient, then the provider, whether it's in the emergency department or an ambulance, can just uh, query the database and obtain uh, the post. And that, that, that is a great advantage. We don't have that yet. In Minnesota. It would be nice for the listeners if they're uh, if they're resonating with the importance of this uh, Pulse program, and they'd like to see a Minnesota registry, which we would like to see very much. Uh, Thad and I chair the uh, the state Pulse task force. It would take a certain amount of dollars, not a lot of dollars, relative to what the state budget is, to create a Pulse registry, so that any person who had an emergency, if they had a Pulse completed and EMS was called to the scene, they could access it online immediately. Uh, but we could probably only do this if we got it, uh, got funding from the state to to this program. I hope someday we can do that. Well, let's, uh, let's encourage our, our callers and our listeners to all uh, contact their state representative and it, encourage that. <laughs> I mean, it furthers the – I mean, the core mission, right, at one level of Pulse is that our default is to provide every piece of technology that we have, right, right unless right. you opt out of that. And a Pulse is a, is a way to effectively opt out. And most people don't want that treatment. Um, and so the, a registry would help that even more by making sure that we actually know that you have a pulse and we could find it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our show for today. We are nearing the end. I want to thank Dr. Vic Sandler and Professor Thad Pope for joining me today to discuss several topics on end-of-life decision-making and especially the pulse. Next week, I'll be talking with Anita Zembrajet from the New Perspective Senior Living Campus in Egan about trends in assisted living options for our senior population. Thank you for listening to the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show. And until next time, live well.